Tanandi is the Festival of Contemporary Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Art. The exhibition is at the Art Gallery of South Australia until the 30th of January 2022. You can view the virtual tour online at agsa.sa.gov.au. My name is Julie Goff. I live in Nipaluna, Hobart. Your space for psychoscape is you walk in and you see these colonial artworks and colonial furniture, a chair and a table and a couch. It looks quite quite comfortable and familiar. It doesn't take very long to become unsettled in the space, though, as you start to read more into the, the images that are presented in there. Can you tell us a bit about that space? Yeah, um, I requested a list of the colonial Vandemonian, Tasmanian furniture items and artworks in the collection of the art gallery and from that was able to relocate a group of those to Gallery 8 for my installation. So it's a bit of a mixture of my work and what's in the art gallery and them speaking to each other. So several paintings really um, provoked or inspired me to go to find the country where they were painted and depicted uh, colonists having a good time in the 1800s. So one of the paintings is by William Pigeny and he painted near Ross in the middle of Tasmania in the 1870s. He painted um, cattle, it says cattle near Ross, the title. So, And the other artwork that I decided to respond to and find the place where that was painted just uh, says waterfall of River Clyde in Tasmania, which River Clyde um, heads heads uh, north towards and goes through the town of Bothwell. That's the nearest town to that waterfall. So for my concept, I I like the idea of if I'm invited to be in something that the, the place itself, like where, is significant for me to think about. Like I like site-specific work or something about the location is driving the concept. So for, for the work to be able to respond to the collection objects that are from my home country but held in South Australia, there's a link there, there's a logic to what I can create from that and also there's a capacity and ability to move those objects, easily get them into my art space. So that was um, practical to respond to object in the collections. So the uh, River Clyde waterfall artwork was by is by Eugene von Gerard another colonial artist who his uh, waterfall scape it's useful to have something like a painting that you can show to landholder colonists to kind of ask and uh, come up with a, a um, well a, a suggestion for what I wanted to create and and therefore gain access to that private so-called private property the so the, the waterfall I, I found through discussing with different people around Bothwell, the town of Bothwell, and eventually had the phone number of the landholder who, who has the waterfall on their uh, land grant. So what, there's no people left, Aboriginal people left, who, whose traditional country is that waterfall on the Clyde. And that's the dilemma, that's the problem for us or the situation for Aboriginal people today in Tasmania is that we're responsible for the whole of the island and um, so once I had the number for the family that have that waterfall I asked to access it and film. Uh, I already 
had a sense of what I wanted to create was to destabilise the paintings and question that their authority of um, showing these kind of bucolic, meaning pastoral, pleasant landscapes that often have cows and sheep and colonists on them and suggest that Aboriginal people have never been there. So with access granted, which is another another part and point of the work, is how much Aboriginal people nowadays, particularly in the more colonised parts of the continent, have to gain access from non-Aboriginal people to go to and onto country. So I went to the waterfall, which took a, an, a bit of an, an effort with equipment and um with a new drone and, and filmed there, the landholders had spent the previous weeks before I, I arrived burning and removing weeds, particularly willow. So willow trees had infested the place. The painting not only kind of gave me a kind of weird permission and the project through the art gallery, this authority or this sense of, oh, there's a legitimate project to visit this, the place, but it also um, precipitated the created this um, sense of obligation in a way for the landholders to get rid of the weeds. So when I turned up, there was a petrol can down in the in the gully or valley and evidence of a lot of land clearing in the previous month before I could finally get to film there. So I was grateful they'd attempted that, but it also said I don't mind whatever it looks like, it's, it's reality now, you know. Um, so it's interesting what part colonial art can play in in all kinds of these conversations between Aboriginal people and, and colonists and their descendants. Being in this project has given me this access, which I think if I hadn't been invited into Tanandi and been um, able to wander around with images of colonial artworks, I think I would have had a harder time convincing people of, um, to ena- enable me to access these places um, because there's a, there's a general... Um, I think nationwide, you know, this idea of uh, not easily gaining access or giving access to Aboriginal people necessarily, there's a anxiety about that, um, which goes back to the 1820s and earlier in Tasmania. The, the second artwork, um, I travelled and drove around Ross, the area where the cattle are in the river in the painting by Pigany. I tried to find the place over several visits, thinking it couldn't be so easy as to be a Jace right really on the township itself so I ended up speaking to farmers over fences and down driveways and eventually um, through discussions and a lot of Google Earth as well determined that actually the place pretty much was um, in town so it was uh, so again drone work but you know mindful of power lines other humans and um, nesting eagles etc to not do any uh, anything illegal in drone land that is um that work i decided to create a spinning effect on the surface of the floor in the gallery to destabilize a sort of central destabilizing work whereas the waterfall on the clyde um, i decided to split the film into four segments mostly to look like surveillance footage of the waterfall and um, pondering what it's seen and been and carries still which is our blood so the end of the Clyde River and waterfall footage just descends into a flickering, uh, a kind of uncertainty, flickering red, red, the waterways, to say that's still there but not always visible to the human eye, I suppose. 
the um, the spinning one is really hopefully to make people feel giddy and concerned. It just um, goes through six cycles of of uh, the landscape or the waterscape of the river near Ross, and then turns into this uncanny spin. In the rest of the space has uh, a loaned another work from the gallery by. John Glover of a corroboree of a group of Aboriginal people at um, Mills, Mills Plains. So that's in the nor- north of Ross, be another hour drive to get to that place. And I'd previously worked and videoed that landscape for a work here in the gallery for the 2018 Biennale. So I decided not to undertake new video for that. It's still there and it's um, for that piece, the response this time was to dissect it into segments and work with the design designer at the art gallery to create an entry piece, which is around disc like a clock face or compass face, a needle, and um, to present this idea of things are in fragments and uncertain and uncanny. Uh, so the psychoscape entrance carries the Glover uh, painting and also segments the proclamation to the Aborigines, which was produced in 1830 in Van Diemen's Land, Lutruida, by the government. So it was a commissioned panel of uh, depicting Aboriginal people and colonists shooting and spearing each other. And then this notion in another set of pictographs on the same panel of equal justice would be um, for either either side, Aboriginal people would be executed if they speared colonists and colonists would be executed if they shot my ancestors. So this is all produced in a really incredible panel that exists in collections around Australia and internationally. Seven of them survive. So in the space psychoscape, it's on the the entry disc psychoscape. It's also um, in a gallery pencil work that's on the wall as you enter on the right, a pencil replica of these original proclamation panels. The the very first panel of that is so bizarre. You have... uh you have two women standing next to each other. The white woman's holding an Aboriginal baby. The Aboriginal woman's holding the white baby. Mm. There's a, a an Aboriginal child and a white child standing there hand in hand. And then this Aboriginal man and, and a white man both dressed in their finery with their arms around each other's shoulder, each with a dog on a leash. <laughs> That's it. Exactly that. <laughs> the utopia. <laughs> it's so bizarre which way you read such a thing up, you know, Going up or going down, it's you start as friends and end up <laughs> being executed, or you read from the bottom, you're killing each other. You know, yeah, which way around is, um, but it's a portal into the time of how violent it was. But by that date that they were produced, most Aboriginal people had been killed or exiled by then, so there was hardly any one to read such panels that were apparently put on trees. The museum in Hobart Museum in Launceston have one each. The National Library has one. I think Mitchell Library has one, and uh, Cambridge in the UK and Cambridge in the USA have uh, one each as well. Um, maybe the British Museum has one. I think so. These are really interesting ways for the government to kind of produce something at the last minute to look like they tried to communicate to Aboriginal people, but it's um, 27 years after um, you know violent colonisation settlement occurred. And it's way too late for such a thing to purport to be a communication device. And at the same time, a map was produced of the Black Line, the military campaign against Aboriginal inhabitants of Van Diemen's Land. So that was 
also one of these after the fact type um, modes to, I suppose, evidence that, that again communication. It was a, it was repli- replicating and mapping the military um, campaign a year earlier. Well, it was eighteen thirty the campaign and eighteen thirty one the map. So it, it goes hand in hand with the proclamation panel. This this map and those figures is a bit nefarious. The the um, as you walk into the space, so you pass the pencil rendition in the art gallery collections of a proclamation panel, and then as you walk in immediately on the left um, is is uh, the work called uh, the Promise, where I've um, released I've I've released or liberated the figures from the proclamation panel, some of them, and they're suspended, cut out of kangaroo vellum on black cotton thread. And they're suspended from a chair, uh, kind of framing them in this strange dance. The some of the colonists, some of Aboriginal people, some uh, there's a dog as well in there in the mix because uh, the dogs are evident. The more I th- think about th- that time, it's um, I've been more interested in what their dogs are doing in that they're with colonists to warn them about us and. And the other way around, our old people had them to warn us about the colonists. You know, these quickly became part of our culture there. And um, when you walk in on the left side, there's two Lysett watercolours made into prints. Uh, Joseph Lysett, colonial artist. And uh, those one of those has a colonist with, a d- with dogs. But also both of those uh, prints have, um, have the colonists in, in these landscapes beautiful landscapes, empty, devoid of Aboriginal people, but they um, have their large musket firearms evident on hand. Uh, my response to those is beneath them I've, I have on the wall a brown best musket, which is the firearm of empire that's evident in the Lycett prints and it's also evident in the suspended figures of the proclamation panel. So one of the colonists is shooting us. It's a really unsettling thing to see a well for me personally to see a gun anywhere and to to think about the potential for the violence but this is even more unsettling because you can be pretty sure this gun has a history yeah i think it's seen that action it's um i've been reading about the brown best trying to understand its extent because so many millions were produced and that's the one from that it's i i think 18th 15 to 1825 or some date range like that that's right in the middle of what was going on in Lutruwida, Tasmania, with our people. That gun being carried around by colonists, there's not any large game or any need for protection for a gun like that. As far as I read it, it's about shooting us, like my ancestors, and it's pretty clear that was its key use. Um, it was used in, it was in Canada, New Zealand, South Africa all of the India. So it's actually called the Indian pattern uh, but it, and Birmingham mark on it, made in Birmingham. This year it came online, online auction and I and uh, it's now um, ours, which is kind of a bit unsettling. The other extreme of how deadly this weapon was to kind of how benign it's become, transporting it from Tasmania to South Australia was... A matter of Australia Post. Um, it came. It did in, end up coming via international art services, I think, or but or 
well, an art freight. Uh, it came via art freight company. Uh, but what was interesting was because it's made prior to a particular date, it doesn't even need a license to be owned. But if I bought a replica, which would cost about the same amount of money, actually, the replica would need a gun license because it's made in a more recent date, and both can be utilised if you've got the, you know, the musket balls and um, shot whatever you need to fire it, which I'm not that clear on, but. Yeah, so a new one would need the uh, firearm licence, but that one doesn't. But it, it came equipped with its uh, leather. It's got leather that holds in the gun flint that are still made to this day. The gun flints are made overseas, but they resemble our stone tools so much. It's made me think more about that. You spoke earlier about the artworks and the artefacts having this link between South Australia and Tasmania. Within this exhibition, there is quite literally a link between the gallery space and your garden? Yes, so uh, as you wander the space, there's all these different um, time leaps back and forward between the painting then and me now, you know, drone flying video on f- on my camera, you know, my um, tripod filming the waterfall and me at Ross now. So it's sort of like we survived all the way for me, like I'm there to recount and be at these places where it looks like we were erased. And to even more of, of that is evident in the... There's a live feed from my garden in Hobart to the gallery. And that's um, showing a wattle tree from which is suspended two key rings, one of an Aboriginal warrior and one key ring of a swag man, which um, it's kind of hopefully a little... It's a little twisted, but that might be my sense of humour. The um, the key rings are a bit, I think, from my era of birth, like I age myself now about sort of mid-60s, 1960s, and they're just showing these arc, kind of archetypal origin figures that I think mainstream Australia just prefers to think of still, I, I, I believe, of uh, Aboriginal people as these beings that are standing with one leg up and holding a spear, this sort of Jeddah-like image of, of Aboriginal guy. The key ring is a bit emblematic of that. And then the swagman is sort of like the waltzing Matilda type, what mainstream Australia is comfortable with. There's this, uh, you know, somewhere between man from Snowy River meets swaggy Aussie archetype. So they're both perpetually fixed this notion of where what's secure and safe of the other and of one's own origin story when so many from Tasmania for example so many families more than 75 percent of people have convict ancestors in in uh, Tasmania but I haven't found a kind of convict with ball and chain chain keyring but that would be more than the swagman for us uh, as in the colonial history of our island would be uh, the convict figure but anyway, they're swinging on a tree permanently in the garden during this exhibition and they're kind of reflecting for me a more a contemporary, another reverberation in the space between the suspended figures of the Promise artwork, the Proclamation Panel liberated figures. And here in my tree right now, we've got live Tasmania in the space with these keyring figures and um, it's taken a, a several uh, texts and phone calls while I've been here to kind of fine-tune those and they're kind of dancing around a lot. You know, it's been a bit of a gale. <laughs> so I've already – my cousin's come over to assist. The Aboriginal warrior figure got tangled, so she 
liberated him from his tangle. And then yesterday my hubby um, was uh, pruned, or two days ago, he, he pruned while I was watching live <laughs> his hands. I got to witness that exciting event, this hand appearing with this pair of shears <laughs> as you're communicating over the phone, pointing at the screen that he clearly couldn't see. <laughs> he, he was... He was very, he's very patient, but I thought he was going to like just pluck two little leaves. They're only like the size of, aren't they tiny? Yeah, like yeah. Two millimeter. The shears looked enormous. <laughs> I can't believe he did. I was like, oh my god, no, don't you? Oh my god. But, um, he's monitoring life in Hobart. Like they're dancing outside our window, and we had a, a visitation from an IT guy to install it in the window, and we've got this like box of equipment on our table in. The, in our lounge room for the next four months, this uh, IT stuff to uh, make it work. And will you be making any cameos on on the screen over the next four months? Yeah, so I've kind of been dared now by um, <laughs> in the hangout space here by the young ladies have suggested that there should be a bit more kind of infiltration by myself yep. and mo- modification. And it seems like too good an opportunity not to continue to mod- to contribute to the wattle tree other things as we draw closer to christmas (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure there's more ahead i just got to figure out what there i think i should definitely i think so that's that's an incentive for me to keep coming back now and checking in and seeing what's happening yeah i'm gonna add more definitely excellent uh yeah it's a bit high for me to be seen it's like it's taller than me, the the view. But if I get on the step ladder, you could I could wave, I could live uh, stream myself. If you're far enough into the background, we could maybe just see yeah. you running amongst the foliage. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we've got wallabies, so at dusk, you know, you, you, after four pm, you might spot a wallaby or two in our garden. They're lo- ladies permanently there because we're the we're the friendly garden out of the whole street, as in we don't garden. <laughs> yeah. Just to finish up, then. Do you have anything, any information on some of the furniture that's featured in the space? Yeah, so there was, I think there's about seven furniture items in the collection from early Tasmania, as in colonial times, and I've managed to move across to this space, Psychoscape, the um, chaise with um, a kind of lattice rattan surface that that matches and matches with the proclamation panel work the promise chair has the same kind of rattan and then there is also a um chair that's called a jimmy possum chair they're kind of folkloric in the manner of the key rings in a way they're said to have been made by an aboriginal man that lived in a hollow tree near dalarain in northern tasmania this jimmy possum is this kind of unknowable person like was he really aboriginal did he really live in a hollow tree did he really make thousands of chairs that look the same or is he all of, you know, is he many, what is going on with these chairs? You know, so this is a problem of history. Is you can, well, you can never quite pin everything or anything down properly. But adjacent to that chair is uh, a table I bought at a secondhand shop at Westbury, which is about 15 minutes down the road. And I bought it two years ago because it's a bush table. It's like made from branches and looks like the jimmy possum style so i was like this is strange when i bought it i said what's the deal with this uh, table it's so you know rugged looking and he uh, the man said oh that's um left over from the movie set of the nightingale which was a movie made 
three years ago, four years ago now, by um, it's about massacre in um, Van Diemen's Land, and I haven't seen it. I've got the DVD, but it's too. It seems too disturbing, but I I need to see it. I kind of know exactly what's in it. So, but it made weird sense that, of course, I picked up this table that's from a movie about massacres, and that it'd be sent over here. Plus, the, the legs just pull out. It's flat pack. Yeah. Oh wow! It's quite helpful. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a flat pack. Very forward thinking. And in the corner next to the chaise, leaning on the right, next to the giant video projection of the Clyde uh, Psychoscape video, are two spears that I've made, and they're um, they're reflecting the two uh, giant fishing rods of the two men in the painting by Von Gerard. There's two men carrying fishing rods that are next to the waterfall. So. I placed the two spears like that's that's us. We've been replaced by these colonists, you know, doing their little fishing stint because um, that Clyde River, the the trout were released along there about 1840s, so maybe even slightly earlier. So it's all a bigger story, like why are they fishing, what are they fishing, It's and, you know, what came before and what lies underneath. So those fishing... Yeah, rods. I've so I kind of think everything in there is a weird. Um, everything is weirdly mirrored in through my eyes. That's brilliant. It's it's definitely a, a space that you need to come into and and experience multiple times as well because you're going to spot different things. And now that we know that the live feed is going to be potentially updated in your garden, that's absolutely a reason to come back in multiple times and get updated with that. So thanks for your time today, Julie. Thanks. Tarnandi is presented by the Art Gallery of South Australia with principal partner BHP and support from the Government of South Australia. View the virtual tour online at agsa.sa.gov.au.